We're starting things off with a word from our sponsor. Since 1998, DVD Netflix has delivered more than 5 billion DVD and Blu-ray rentals to movie lovers in every American zip code and to military bases around the world in their famous, iconic red envelopes. With an extensive library of titles from the early 1900s to today and shows from such premium networks as HBO and Showtime, DVD Netflix is a must for physical media lovers. Featuring a variety of different plans starting at as little as $8.99 per month, it's a great way to experience DVDs and Blu-rays with special features and commentary tracks you won't find anywhere else. A member for over 20 years, so well before I ever began working with the service as an official blogger on acting or as a DVD Netflix Twitter film discussion host, I think it's a terrific way to keep our vintage video store memories alive and support the physical media that we love so much. So be sure to check out DVD Netflix for yourself at dvd.com. Now, on with the show. Hey, this is Jen Johans at filmintuition.com and filmintuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen. Happy holidays, and welcome to the first of three bonus episodes that I'll be releasing this week to celebrate the end of the third season, the end of the year, and above all, to thank you for your support throughout 2022. The kind patrons who help fund my research for as little as a dollar a month will be receiving all of these episodes first to bring us home for the holidays so you can escape into your headphones and laugh along with us. And then I'll be sharing these installments a little over a week or so after that with the world so everyone will be able to enjoy them on Apple, Spotify, or wherever they prefer to get their pods. If you would like first dibs on any future surprises like these episodes, be sure to check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash filmintuition to join us today. In addition to thanking you for listening, I want to send my love and gratitude to my guests for this episode as well as all of the others as well. This one is devoted to 22 physical media releases and includes Blake Howard, Sean Burns, S.A. Cosby, and Nikki Dolson. You'll be getting more episodes on foreign films and art house titles, and also one devoted to classic movies as well. So three very different thematic episodes that I think you will love. Additionally, I want to give a big shout out to my good friend, Mr. Blake Howard, my honorary kid brother from Oz, who kindly decided to give me a Christmas gift and all of you one as well, and edit together his conversation along with Sean Burns on Top Gun Maverick and splice in audio from the film to get you psyched up and kind of lose yourself in the soundscape of Top Gun. It's a blast and it kicks off this episode. I know you will love it. So thank you so much, Blake. You're a prince. And let's go ahead and get into it. And next up, we have my friend Sean Burns, a Boston-based film critic for WBUR's Arts and Culture 
and a contributing writer at North Shore Movies and Crooked Marquee. You've heard Sean and I talk about such luminaries as Michael Douglas and Jack Nicholson on the podcast. Sean Byrne is a huge fan of both Tom Cruise, of course, I mean, who isn't, and Top Gun Maverick, which is one of his favorite movies of the year. So, Sean, talk to me about this movie. Well, it's the the Blu-ray, which the nice people at Paramount were kind enough to send me, yes. is the, the, the new thing I put in every time I come home drunk. <laughs> it's time for bed. Or we could watch the 215 scene again. Because it's only two minutes and 15 seconds. And then I end up watching the whole second hour of the film again. Yeah. So good. I know. Yeah, great movie. Were you a big fan of the first one? Or did you grow up with it, watching it all the time? Oh, yeah. I, I, saw, it in the, I saw it in the theater um, when it came out. We were trying to sneak into Cobra, the Stallone movie, and we couldn't get in. So we had to see this <laughs> PG movie. That, I you know, know turned out to yeah. be awesome. Yeah, 1986. I remember watching it all the time as a kid on video with my older brother until like middle school. Then I started to get more aware of what was happening. And I remember uh, during the volleyball scene, I was yelling at the guys to make out. And I got kicked <laughs> out of the room. They're like, you can't watch with us anymore, Jen. You're rooting for them to make out the whole like ice man thing with the teeth and you know he has his arm around his uh co-pilot what is it slider striker slider 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 you stink yeah (laughs) arm around slider and uh you know there's just so much homoeroticism in that movie i fucking love that but um yeah it it was not amusing to my brother and his friends unfortunately so they did kick me out so i think the last time i had seen top gun was probably like 1991 92 until this summer when i was like i gotta watch it again because there's a new one out my dad saw the sequel like five goddamn times and every time he would go i'd get text messages like oh my god it's the best movie ever and i'm going back like as soon as i can and my brother loved it and every guy I was talking to and then like Bilga Ibiri loved it and you did Blake Howard other people and I'm like okay I gotta see this so I oh did. Bilga like he saw it before the pandemic at an early screening and then he had to not say anything for two years before coming. was this I thought it was the James Bond it was this movie <laughs> oh my god yeah I remember that story he was like it's supposed to open. I saw this film and I can't say a word about it. It was this movie. Oh my God. Imagine wow. sitting on this for two years. Like this movie so and it keeps getting moved over and over again. <laughs> I know the moment I saw it, it's all I wanted to talk about for the next two days. <laughs> Immediately got in touch with Belga. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, this guy has been waiting for years for this. I am calling him <laughs> up. Yes, Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's great. I love the whole thing with uh, Goose's son. I thought that was kind of a cool payoff. I think my favorite character, though, in the new one is definitely Hangman. <laughs> Say, uh, Glenn Powell is just amazing in this movie. You kind of watch him and you're like, this guy is going to be the next Val Kilmer or Tom Cruise. If we still have movie stars anymore, we, you know, give them these kind of franchise 
films that aren't, you know, superhero shit, basically, Glenn Powell would be that guy, I firmly believe. He would have been awesome in the 90s, yes. You're looking at the only naval aviator on active duty with a confirmed air-to-air killer. Stop. Mind you, the other guy was in a museum piece from the Korean War. Cold War, different wars, same century. Not this one. Who are your friends? Payback. Fanboy. Hey, Coyote. Hey. Who's he? Who's who? When did you get in? Oh, I've, I've been here the whole time. Well, man's a stealth pilot. Literally. Uh, weapon systems officer, actually. With no sense of humor. What do they call you? Bob? No, your call sign. Uh, Bob. Bob Floyd. You're my new backseater from Lemoore. Looks like it, yeah. Hi, Bob Bob. Rackham. Okay. <laughs> Penny, my dear. Yeah. I'll have four more on the old timer. Well, it's great because he's like Maverick's younger self. And Maverick he really can't is. stand him. Like, <laughs> I know. Yeah, the inverted dive and all of that. Yes. <laughs> like, you little prick, you're me. Yeah. <laughs> I hate me. <laughs> I mean, that's what I love. I feel like it struck a chord, especially for, you know, guys my our age, you know, because it's just like, I, I mean, you know what a sucker I am for old man movies. Oh, yeah. And this is a great old man movie. I think that's why I've responded to this. So I haven't responded to a movie like this since Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I was just going to say that it's it's a total, like, get off my lawn movie, just like Once Upon a Time in, in Hollywood. Like, come on, next generation, fuck you. It's kind of Once Upon a Time. And so this is sort of the even more Hollywoodish kind of slickly packaged version of that. Yes. Well, I'm confronting your obsolescence, you know, and like, yeah. you know, the, like the world isn't made for you anymore, you know? And I think it's, it's the first time we've ever seen Cruz play his age or confront I me. Mean, he's not really playing his age, but you know, confront yeah. his age like this, you know, he's always yeah. the cock of the walk. And here he's just, you know, he's still, lonely sad man at the beginning he's got nothing he is he's kind of like the beginning of the movie i remember when i first saw it i'm like are they sending up jaeger in the right stuff like is somebody gonna ask him if he has any demons or something like you know are they doing that whole thing where he needs to use like a broom handle to shut the the plane i'm like what are they doing here and um you know because he even has the crash and you're like this is so the right stuff and, uh, that's why they had Ed Harris. <laughs> <laughs> that's so true. Oh my God. And um, I love that when he shows up. First of all, John Hamm. Love John <laughs> Hamm when he's playing. John Hamm is funnier than we give him credit for, but he has to play an asshole in this. He plays a good asshole. And uh, it's good when he has to kind of shut Cruz down. Cruz wants to go fly this mission it's like no like you're old basically we want you to teach right. the mission yes. no, <laughs> so ham is really well. underrated in the movie he is such a good margaret dumont like he, just has to, <laughs> he has so many different ways in the movie of going maverick <laughs> and that's a thankless part but and also like he's not a bad guy like you kind of like no, him at the not end, at all you know? 
because he is kind of like a different version of that basically like he had gone to the school a couple years later and uh was number well, that's one. the part that always throws me that he graduated like two years after Cruz, because it's like john ham has never not been old to me and tom cruise has always been the kid <laughs> oh really see i went the other way i'm like would john ham really be the right age for that like i was going the other way but that's so funny yeah, yeah like he could Connelly be Cruz's too. dad because he's the authority figure, and you know, Tom still looks 35. So. He does, yeah. No, but I love seeing uh Jennifer Connolly. It was funny, I went to go visit uh my dad and when my brother was in town with my nieces, and they were talking about this movie, of course. And they're like, you know, Jen, have you seen this? Yes, and then they were telling me, well, Penny Benjamin, because the, the original, you know, when they're like one admiral's daughter and then goose whispers <laughs> patty Batman. and i totally missed that reference i guess or didn't even put it together and meg so, ryan mentions it too also he told yeah. me all about you and penny benjamin yes exactly <laughs> i know context clues jen come on <laughs> and uh, yeah so i love that like call back there i thought it was kind of funny um the scene too where again it's him sort of having to confront what a cocky prick he's been a little bit in his life when he's sneaking out of her bedroom and the daughter catches him and um it just kind of like levels with her him of don't break her heart again which you know this girl looks what like 13 and she says that yeah such a well-timed scene because you get the laugh of him sneaking out and getting yeah. caught and then the daughter drops the bomb you get like yeah i know yep the ultimate cruise scene the one thing that like never works for me though is when he's first in the bar with her and she says something like don't look at me like that like you want to ask me <laughs> when i'm getting off work because i'm sorry cruise doesn't really sell that lust in the eye thing very well like i love tom don't get me wrong but you know, it's not Tom and Nicole or even Tom and Renee and Jerry Maguire here. <laughs> Tom is looking at her like, you know, can you pass the mayonnaise at lunch, basically? Like, there's nothing there. And Jennifer Connelly has to sell like he's really giving her this heated look. And I was just like, really? <laughs> yeah. That's why that sex scene's so weird. Like, all of a sudden they have their clothes on. <laughs> they have their clothes on, and then, like, he's shirtless, but then then there's more clothes on. <laughs> but they kind of position it like the old sex scene a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, where she has to lay flat, and then, you know, there's the whole thing. Yeah. Now, it was funny when Neil deGrasse Tyson was talking about how unrealistic the uh, that he would survive this Mach 10 explosion <laughs> was. <laughs> my, my friend pointed out he's like i thought the most unrealistic thing was the depiction of what would happen if a 58 year old man jumped out a window <laughs> that's so true though yes yeah i mean of course he'd be he'd be a, smeared all over the sky but come on it's a yeah, movie we it's don't... a fun movie yeah like when he says coffin corner are we gonna you know what was hilarious is i saw this with um with a family member and when we were watching and they're like Maverick's dead <laughs> actually looked at me and went oh my god they killed off Maverick and it was like oh you poor sweet thing <laughs> like <laughs> you really think they're gonna kill off Tom Cruise come on I'm like I don't think he's dead and then two seconds later he has kind of that wake up like he's T2 like the robot 
You know, but like, I mean, Jen, they did just kill James Bond. You know, we're all a little on the back true. foot. That's <laughs> true. Yeah, we are a little. I, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just thought if they'd killed him, it would be a bigger, more messianic death, as opposed, you know, like yes. in Christ-like fashion. Been, exactly. He would have been sacrificing himself for yeah. Which he did, but it happened so quickly. It was yes. like, well, he can't possibly be dead. <laughs> yeah, they would have, you know, we needed the operatic music. You know, one thing I, I miss about the 80s is, you know, characters would have theme music. Like, mm -hmm. how goddamn good is the score for Top Gun? I mean, it pumps you up. They play it at sporting events. It's awesome. It's kind of like, you know, the era of Beverly Hills Cop and the music and uh we didn't really have that too much we... yeah and the lady gaga song for this i love it. it's like the love theme but they use it as score during all the scenes like when he's on the boat with jennifer connelly and it's like oh the single is part of the score i love when they do that <laughs> yeah it's a really good song i think it was funny the first time i saw the credits you know you see howard faltermeyer and lady gaga and you're like what and then <laughs> nope it totally works yes and Hans zimmer of course yeah oh yeah you can't score a movie like this without him no but yeah and of course him crashing the plane then you lead to the you know the most wonderful overt symbolism ever where they have to steal the whole hunk of junk plane it's like yes <laughs> do you think this bag of shit can still fly like it'll fly i know it's such an indiana jones moment it's great <laughs> but playing into this whole like old man fantasy yeah. of the movie, like I'm the only one who knows how to fly these old pieces yep. of crap, and I can get us out of here. Yes, thank goodness they had the old guy. Exactly, <laughs> it's the once upon a time in Hollywood thing where we needed Brad Pitt to save the day. Come on, right? Yes, if only Brad. <laughs> Again, Pitt another had been ridiculous there. fantasy in which us obsolete men are not so obsolete. I anymore. know. It's the Mark Wahlberg that, well, if I was there, shit would have gone down differently, you know? <laughs> yes. And you get, when he's in that, when they see the F-14, you get a whole different John Pam reading of Maverick. <laughs> yes! I love how you're pointing out the different readings of Maverick. It's so good. Yeah, I thought John Hamm was really great. Were there any... Well, the best guy was his sidekick there, Charles Parnell. He steals the movie. But... He is so good. Yes. When yeah. he does the little fist bump after Cruz steals the movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's the biggest, like, release point for the... It's such a fun audience movie, just hearing people go crazy. You know, it's been so long since... Yeah. seen a movie really work in audience like this. How many times did you see it, do you think, in the theater? Like five in the theater. Okay. So you and my dad would have been like simpatico there. That's awesome. What was out all summer? They kept bringing it back. Yes. <laughs> you know, there's a big IMAX theater near me. And like my friend Jack was like, you know, it's back this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of hoping it would come back one more time before the blue catfish people came in. But it's not meant to be. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's funny. But yeah, yeah, I think I voted for Cruz for best actor on all my ballots because I think this is one of his best performances. I think it's nobody else could have pulled this off. Like, no, it's very good. Yeah, and like taking your signature role like this and investing it with this this pathos. much emotion and yeah, mm -hmm. he's genuinely Regret. scared. So much of it, like he's yeah. really at that end. He's just like nobody's coming. Someone's not coming home from this, which is why it's such a relief when everyone mm -hmm. does because he sort of yes. sold me on the idea someone's getting killed 
I know. Coffin Corner. Yep. Exactly. That was crazy because you kept hearing about it the whole time. You're like, okay. The yeah, whole coffin. time. You're like. And then when you finally saw it, you were like, shit. <laughs> missiles are there. It was kind of like a Star Wars sequence, that whole. Oh, it's totally Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, it was very exciting. I thought I can't imagine seeing it in the theater. It would have been amazing. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean the, the IMAX with the deafening, like, yeah, it was absolutely addictive. Cool. But, you know, it's just such a smart. Like, I mean, they lay out the entire mission. You know exactly what's going to happen. Like you said, like you're waiting for Coffin Corner. You know, we know. Yeah. Like, yeah, so it's kind of like the Dirty Dozen. Basically, they set it up. And then you're just mm -hmm. waiting for them to figure out if they can do it. Yep. But it's that clarity. It's so appreciated. Like when you're watching something like like the, the final battle in Wakanda forever, I'm like, I don't even know what the fuck they're supposed to be doing. <laughs> like, what do I yeah, want to have happen? The Avengers so movie, it's like or all those movies. There's something with rings. I don't understand. There's yeah. like a beam that goes up to the sky. That's going to Yeah, like... I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was just uh, the, like the just the concision. It was very nice. Like I know what's I know. <laughs> it's weird. We're I'm praising this because I know what's happening. Yeah, <laughs> that's what we've come to. I dig. Yeah, <laughs> it it makes sense. Damn it. Another <laughs> thing I I dig about the movie is just something really basic about it. Like when he's back. He goes to see her at the bar and you know most movies she would be there they would be the clinch the exciting kiss you know she's not she's sailing with the kid and he's got to go back and work <laughs> on that fucking plane again this right. time though with goose's son and like wait for her to show up and i just thought that was you know great because that's kind of a night like a romantic nightmare of like it always happens in movies where the person shows up at the house and surprises them and it's so wonderful but what if you're not there and this movie does that <laughs> yes something like that something that basic it makes sense it takes real life into consideration yeah, that's what we like. Well, I also like that she just went sailing. She didn't want to get the news about what happened as it was happening, you know? Yes. She like... Yep, I'm going sailing. Yeah. And of course, we have to talk about Val's scene, which is... Oh, my God. Yes. Emotional. So moving. Yep. That character is so indelible to me that, like, when he was texting at the beginning, I was hearing the texts in Kilmer's voice. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was something. You're like, oh my god, Iceman text Maverick. This is great. First of all, <laughs> you're like, his phone is ice too. Not even yeah, the full I know. <laughs> oh yeah, there was that. He said like, well, you know, you see the text. It says, well, that went well, and I just totally heard Kilmer's voice when I was reading it. It was really <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know it's such a really good scene too when he because you you walk he walks in and they start where he has to type everything and you're like oh my god this is going to be really affecting and and hard to watch and then when he talks it's even more powerful and you're like i'm a wreck right now yeah Talk and then you get the button you. on the end which is great though like who's the better pilot yeah <laughs> this, is so nice. <laughs> this is such a nice moment let's not ruin it yeah <laughs> Navy needs Maverick. 
The kid needs Maverick. That's why I fought for you. That's why you're still here. Thank you, Rice. For everything. One last thing. Who's the better pilot? You or me? This is a nice moment. Let's not ruin it. Yeah. It's a really funny movie. The, the relief's timed so well. Just when, mm -hmm. when he finds Rooster, that's like the hardest I laugh when they're like screaming at each other. And then it's like when they like run out of it. Well, it's great to see you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. And I like that they played uh, Great Balls of Fire. We had, you know, football on the beach this time. But I thought the Great yeah. Balls of Fire thing was kind of cool. I was realizing when I was watching these, because yesterday I actually watched them both kind of in preparation, like, I'm going to do it. It was a lot of testosterone for one day, let me tell you, Burns. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of the day, I'm like, I need a chick movie. This is too much. But um, but I was realizing how many dudes saw Top Gun and figured that the way to try to like seduce a woman is public performance and embarrassment, because that actually... <laughs> that happened to me I'm like i would fucking mace them <laughs> you're like not only am you not coming home with me you're getting <laughs> maced yeah no <laughs> yeah we know you don't like the the singing very much burns <laughs> we had some conversations off air but uh yeah anyway it, and it's so embarrassing because you're just like standing there with like four guys just full out you know doing a rock song like oasis or some shit and you're like i want to go home yeah and so <laughs> i'm realizing that came from uh top gun yes there is something great about that bar scene too where it's just tom cruise watching this top gun movie happen in front of him yeah yeah, you feel like there would have been Charlie. this temptation, yeah. like these notes, I could see the studio, like wanting him to mix it up with the kids in the bar scene yeah. or something. But like, no, he's on the sidelines. He's got to watch this new generation. I know. I thought oh, yeah. that was kind of cool. Yeah. That he didn't get in there and do that. And also that they really did develop the new characters because you were kind of expecting him to teach them all lessons. I mean, he does, but you know what I mean? Like each one was going to have a moment with Tom where they like learn something one-on-one. -on -one, and I thought that was kind of good that no, these were defined people. Yeah. Yeah. Why can't they all be like this? I know let's get more, you know, we need, first of all, more Hollywood movies that are fun, but smart where we know what's going on. We like <laughs> them to be a bit logical. We like the old man fantasy. We've gotten into that. What else are we missing out on? John Hamm. Well, unfortunately, we need movie stars and they don't make them anymore. Yeah, we really don't. Well, I think, like I said, I think Glenn Powell is is definitely, he's got it. Yeah, I think some of the other kids were good, too. I call them kids. They all look so, so young in this movie. Yes. <laughs> I'm watching this like, oh, these kids are fun. <laughs> like, I know one of them is Bill Pullman's kid, so you think of him that way, right? <laughs> was um, it really? I wondered when I saw that. Oh, that's funny. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Bob, whose call handle was Bob. <laughs> Great on the character posters. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Yeah.
Oh, great movie. Do you have any final thoughts on it? No, I just want to go watch it again now. Or maybe, yeah. you know, I'll just watch, just watch the 215 scene and then end up watching the rest of it again. Okay, very cool. Yeah. Up next, I am here with Blake Howard, my good buddy from One Heat Minute Productions, the amazing podcast production company. He's one of the most prolific people I know. He's also a very talented film writer and reviewer. Blake, thank you so much for being here. Jen, when you call, it's a very easy yes. It's a very <laughs> easy, easy yes. I'm here. I feel like right now you just gave me the Ed Harris You've been called back to Top Gun. And I'm like, I'm ba- I'm ready, baby. Let's go. I'm ready. <laughs> You're ready to deal with John Hamm and the whole, <laughs> the whole gang. Yes. I'm ready. I'm ready. Yeah. I'm ready. I, I'll, I'll have to shut up like Maverick because I think, you know, if you have any rhetorical questions, I'll have to shut my mouth and uh, do that. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm back to talk about my favorite movie of the year. So this is a fun, this is a fun time to talk anytime Top Gun. And especially with you, physical media. I love me some physical media. So excited to talk about it. Yes, absolutely. So this was your favorite movie of the year? Yeah, definitely. I I, I saw it early in the year. I've told this story a couple of times, uh, so I'm not sure how familiar folk are, but if people are listening to your show, um, they may have heard me talk about it. But it's. I remember I saw it. It was like the big first screening post-COVID, you know, the, that like felt like a real media screening in Sydney in the old days. You know, you had lots of people and booze and all that stuff, like a big show to like gussie you up to hopefully enjoy the movie as a lot of film companies want to do um but i went in there and i was i I just saw a whole bunch of people out at the movies that i hadn't seen in like a year i was like wow you know people are really excited for this and it just blew me away i remember walking out and i was like cancel netflix cancel your subscriptions (laughs) movies are back baby like get rid of this streaming shit it's over um, and I was so excited and I took some friends and then I took some more friends cause I was like, you have to see this again. And then I took some more friends cause I'm like, you have to see this again. So I saw it like three or four times at the cinema. And then immediately as we could purchase it, uh, digitally, I bought it digitally and watched it again and bought it digitally. And then I pre-ordered a really cool steel cover exclusive. And then, um, speaking more specifically about today, then they in Australia, and I think overseas too, they bought out this ultimate top gun fan set which is what i'm here to talk to you about today which is this absolutely stunning ridiculously (laughs) over the top top gun fan set which looks like this so you need to take a screenshot for the listeners you can but it is both top gun and top gun maverick on 4k blu-ray absolutely gorgeous it comes like that and then when you open after you get through that it comes with little Top Gun Maverick dog tags. Uh, <laughs> it, it comes with um, the hard deck, some coasters from the hard deck. It has some okay. stuff in there. And then it also comes with a bunch of photos that it imagines that you're setting up like a Maverick-esque locker in your house. Oh, and it comes with I like... Mean, everyone com- is, right? Yeah. Well, I've actually taken two of these and framed them and put them on my office wall. But <laughs> it's got photos of like Goose... It's got photos of Goose and the family, you know, like all that stuff that you see in Maverick's locker is also here. So it is like the ultimate kit. It also has like a key ring, which is now my key ring. Um, So, yeah, I was like, this is 
a truly like spectacular 4K experience because it is this Dolby Atmos, Dolby um, Dolby Vision, the way that it toggles between IMAX and standard frame rates. It's a stunning film, just like on a technical level and for like physical media heads. But then seeing it in 4K as opposed to 4K digital because it's just uh, Australia's internet shit house, so it's never as good. Um, but <laughs> but it's uh, the the absolutely stunning. And I haven't even watched the original on 4K yet, but the, I've watched Maverick again oh, on 4K. Oh, yeah? It's unbelievably good. Yes. <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. great. Great. <laughs> Can't I'm, wait for you to see it. Oh, something to look forward to on 4K. But no, I, I just, I, I was such in a Maverick phase this year that that I was like, I have to watch it. And so when you're talking about physical media, I was like, you know what? I think everyone would know by now, just in my modus operandi, that rewatchability is such a huge factor of me yes. loving something. Like if mm-hmm. I feel like I need to endlessly pour over it, that's huge. And Maverick, I've, I could safely say, I think I've watched it like seven times this year or something. <laughs> so if I have all bits and pieces, so if I'm like up to the sevens of a movie that came out in 2022 and like, a, and still not seeing a chunk of like what everyone is calling the best movies of the year, yeah. um, then I'm, uh, you could safely say that this is absolutely my favorite movie of the year for sure. Favorite in house, in cinema experience and physical media, like right up there as my favorite thing of the year. Wow. So I know you're a big fan of the Mission Impossible movies and some past films. Uh, You like Collateral and other Tom Mm. Cruise roles. Growing up, were you a Top Gun guy? Um, I wasn't as, I didn't realize how big a Tony Scott house we were, you know, know, because we loved The Last Boy Scout Mm -hmm. and we loved Top Gun and we loved Beverly Hills Cop 2 specifically um you know they were just on a rotation i wasn't like a ridiculous over the top fan of top gun though probably overall like i watched it it was but you know we grew up with shitty four three boxy tvs and watching things (laughs) on vhs like you don't you have no appreciation for like how magnificent top gun is and then like i think it came out on streaming a while back like a 4k upgrade and and yes. i remember watching it then again for the first time in ages and i hadn't even like i can't even remember if i'd ever seen it in a wide screen i never saw it in a theater mm-hmm. um and so yeah i was like oh my god this is spectacular yes it's um it's it's got funny gender politics which i think are actually quite charming um yes tom cruise doesn't know what to do with kelly mcgillis which we've discussed in detail on <laughs> our previous podcast but yeah. no it's it's still a spectacularly shot thrilling popcorn blockbuster and you can totally see why it was a spectacle at the time and you know tony scott as far as action filmmakers is one of the most ripped off in history and so i find myself as i get older i'm I'm more and more of a Tony guy. And so I, I'm, you know, I was as a, as a Chris McQuarrie mission guy and a way of the gun guy and, and a Tom Cruise guy from collateral and just a Cruise fan in general. Maverick was like custom made for me to love it. And (laughs) when I saw it, I was like, it wasn't just like a nostalgia legacy sequel. It was, Mm -hmm. I think it's truly one of the most massively constructed movies script wise of the year. It's a thrill. It's a thrilling ride. It's got all the emotional touch, touch, uh, touch points that really 
you know, I've cried to this movie so many times this year. In the first viewing, I was crying. And like in the Dark Star sequence, now I'm already crying. The first time he says, talk to me, Goose, it's all over. Flight data. Receiving. Data's good. Temperature's climbing. Response is still stable. We're feeling good. Mark 8.8. 8.9. Mark 9. He's the fastest man alive. Love this movie. And when you um, see Iceman. Oh, when you see Ice. Mm-hmm. What a scene. What a scene. Or when they're texting each other. Sean Burns talks about that as well. <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah. Yeah. Like the 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 text to each other is you know, that I, I've talked about it recently with the boys on Light the Fuse, um, and Light the Fuselage, I think is their Top Gun series. But the I didn't talk especially about the bar sequence, which I think is one of the best structured scenes of the year. Like it starts out with those texts and then it meets, and then you meet Penny and then you meet the gang of guys and then he gets booted from the bar. And, you know, then Mars tells Brewster starts playing, you know, his dad's song on the piano. And then you hear like that whole scene to like synthesize what the movie is before you get into the more sort of dynamic action sequences is so wonderful. And yeah, I just, I also, it's everything there's nothing cooler to me than a text message that you can read once that speaks volumes and they yes. just play that game so beautifully. Like it says something and it's better than 10 pages of dialogue. It's just one line. That's like, mm-hmm. there's a mastery in that economy of storytelling of like, you read one line of a text that's there, but no, it's just, it's got everything. It's got everything I want in a movie, Jen. It's, it's, it's a, a special thing. Yeah. And texting on screen is always such a dicey proposition because half the time we can't see what the fuck they're writing. And you're like, even if the screen is huge, you're like, am I supposed to be able to see that? But at least you can see it. And it's, you know, it's an economy of words and it comes across and you can, as Sean was saying, you can hear his voice, Val Kilmer, just in the text. And it's kind of perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really special. It's kind of this and uh, personal shopper that have the two best uses of text. Yeah, there you go. I, <laughs> there's a there's another recommendation on the Criterion uh, on the Criterion collection for you guys. Um, yes, I love that. Did you one. like you you like this one, right? Oh yeah, I thought Good. it was a blast. Yeah. It was so much better. I mean, you know, the original is a lot of fun, but I grew up not a huge fan of it. Uh, Tom Cruise was one of our favorites. Um, my brother was very obsessed with Top Gun and my father, but like we would watch uh, A Few Good Men all the time. That mm. was probably one of the Tom Cruises. We, we watched The Firm. I think The Firm was actually the first rated R movie I saw alone with my brother, like without our parents. Yes. So we were Tom Cruise people. Jerry Maguire is a film we watch all the time. So yeah, lots of good... Tom Cruise. A lot of good careers. Yeah. I, 
This is his color of money, though. So speaking to our friend Sean, who wore his amazing Vincent shirt to your conversation, which I yes. love to pieces. But this is like this is his color of money. This is his. This is him riffing on it, and of course, he looks amazing compared to oh, people yes. in the eighties, who, who at his age in the eighties look like old men. But no, <laughs> I, 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 it's only made me like love Top Gun more and love Color of Money more and love how these are such a great dialogue. Uh, intergenerational movie dialogue yeah. between one another because I think that Color he's of Newman Money now, yeah, yeah, he's Newman and Co- Color of Money is just it, it's got all those notes and it's a movie that I, you know, I, I think it gets lost in the masterpieces of Scorsese that litter through yeah. um, the last fifty years, really. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I love Color of Money. I think it is a spectacularly told story. It has amazing performances too, and. Yeah, I just love everything about this movie. I'm I'm just so happy for all of the people that are involved in it that are now like cementing themselves in a whole bunch of other future projects and um and it's great that some of the key personnel are all going to be on these next few missions and next Chris McQuarrie cruise joints and I I'm Oh I, really? I, That's so good. Yeah, there's there's a few coming up. Um Charles Parnell I know is in one of the missions that's so coming good. up. The yeah. best. Yeah. The best, the one of the best faces. He needs to be in like twenty more movies just to stare <laughs> at the screen, so you can just read a whole life of like experience and regret. But yeah, mm-hmm. no, I easily my favorite. And this and this kit, like this bit of kit for a physical media head, I was like, must have, got it. You can get it yourself if you're like a Top Gun nut. You really should. And I felt like my office wall is covered in art. You know, uh, different one sheets and paintings and artworks that I've commissioned and over like just over my screens as I'm talking to you there is a photo of Rooster and and Maverick and a photo of Maverick and Go- uh, Maverick and Iceman together and I'm like that's I just needed that on the wall every <laughs> time I come boost. in and out yeah it's just like this is it this is that's that's movies you know and um there's plenty of other fantastic movies that I've loved over the last couple of years and and, and particularly you know have hit completely different emotional registers, you know, but this, you know, two of my favorite, two of my favorite like viewing experiences, I think felt so such a kinship together is I saw Jackass forever, which is like a bunch of old men doing really stupid shit for our entertainment. And you did a video. I remember that. Yeah. (laughs) And I hit my, and I did clobber my friend, Brian in the nuts. Thank you, Brian. Love him so much. Um, uh, but, uh, but that was one of my favorite viewing experiences. And then Top Gun was the same. It was like a, a, a staple of cinema going out and taking a whole bunch of young lads, introducing a new generation of lunatics to go and uh, do this lunacy for us on the larger scale. And genuinely, they're two of my favorite, two of my top three now favorite movies of the year, I would say, are Jackass Forever and Maverick. And I think they've got a lot of similarities um, because they're doing it for us. They hurt themselves and they sacrifice their their safety and health for us, and um, and that's that's why I love Cruise because, you know, this guy like Jackie Chan before him, you know, these guys are just doing it for us. Yes, it's old man cinema at its finest. To use Sean's <laughs> phrase, I also though I love the new cast members, Glenn Powell. I mean, that mm. kid is just a movie star. Hundred percent. Him and you just know, like, part of it. Though I'm a Huge, little worried, big, big, big Sam Howard, uh, uh, big Sam Howard, uh, uh, lure is Glenn Powell. If Glenn Powell's on the screen in any movie, my wife is wife watching is- it. <laughs> she is, she is watching that movie and she is concentrating very, very keenly. 
<laughs> that is so funny. Yeah, I think if this was back in the 90s, he would have had a career that's kind of similar to yeah. a Cruz or a Kilmer. I mean, yeah, lots of magnetism there. I also love seeing John Hamm. John Hamm plays such a good asshole. Oh, and that's... he's such a charming, funny guy. But they keep casting him in this sort of flavor. And uh, he always hits it. Yep. Yes. you. He's a perfect asshole. Like, I don't... Yeah. I don't really... I don't really like Baby Driver, Edgar Wright's film at all. No. But no. what I love is John Hamm. John Hamm yes. rules in Baby Driver. Like, yeah, he, he's like, the like the final, the, the final act of that movie, he is outstanding. Like, I could, yes. I could skip, skip, skip just to John Hamm goes off the freaking rails and yes. I want to see it. And even with Confess Fletch, he's terrific, schlubby oh, he's and great. like sardonic, fantastic. This, he's such a great asshole. And I think that he, you know, he's, He's kind of got that vibe, you know, like if they were making like a Friends of Eddie Coyle, like he's so good looking, but like he's got yeah. that, he's got that Mitchum vibe too. He's got that, like he mm-hmm. could be just an ass that you would happily watch. Yep. And uh, for the entire film. And so many times when they try and make him likable, he's not good. And even Bridesmaids got it, you know, they got like, let's put him as the worst total piece <laughs> of shit. Yeah. And he'll be so funny. And he was like, a tr- he's a true highlight in a movie that has amazing, hilarious highlight scenes. He's like a true highlight, <laughs> treating yeah. poor Kristen Wiig like a piece of crap the whole time. Like, he's great. And so, yeah, I think that that's the... And Don Draper, you know, obviously the the role oh, of yeah. his career, he is not a one-dimensional, nice no. guy person. He's, nope. he's extremely complex. He ha- he's, he's lovable. But he's also kind of a piece of shit and he's awful Mm -hmm. at times and cruel at times and forthright at times. And sometimes his cruelty is sort of uh, professorial in a way. It's Mm -hmm. he's got so much going on. And I think that, yeah, if you cast him in these more these darker shades, I think he's going to always shine. And so, yeah, it was a funny story with Maverick, though, with John Hamm, because I think his agent went up to him and they're like, oh, they're not paying you much. I don't know about this. And he's like, yes. Yes, I'm do I don't care how much it costs. Yeah. You want me to stand you want me to stand in a room and yell at Tom Cruise? Yes. That's yeah. exactly what I'm fine with that. Um and you know, he talked about meeting Cruise earlier in his career and you know, Cruise being such a monstrous fan of his work in Mad Men. He's like, I love your show. Oh my god. Oh, that's da, da. so nice. So it's really nice. But then get them getting to work together. He's like, Yeah, I want that energy in the movie. And I think he makes it. Every character is so massive. Um, so yeah, I'm I am uh, I I I, I'm a gushing fan for this movie. I, I won't be sold that anything is anything could be better this year for me, especially based on just rewatchability. Like I'll throw this on, I'll throw it on again and again and again and again, and it's very yeah. easy. Perfect. Are there any other thoughts you have on any of the actors, the storyline, anything? I have one shameless plug because we're talking the Jan Johan's physical media spectacular at the end of the year. There is one. More piece of physical yes. media. The After Dark Neo-Noir Cinema Collection 2 from Imprint Films with a book with my first published essays oh, as a film critic. So, yes, thank you so much. There are two essays in here, one on Narc and one on The Way of the Gun. Oh, this pack, I can't wait to read it. This pack has Blue Steel, 
Ooh. Internal Affairs, The Crimson Rivers, which is a um, Matthew uh, Armourich flick that's got uh, Vincent Casal and Jean Renault. Terrific, really twisty, kind of proto uh, Scandi noir, but uh, set in France. The Way of the Gun, The Yards, as Ooh. both editions of The Yards, which is the director's cut with yep. uh, James Gray's director's cut and the original theatrical version, and Narc. It is absolutely outstanding. The first collection was magnificent, had a whole bunch of essays from Walter Chaw. Um, but this is like selfishly, obviously, because I am um, get to write about it. But genuinely, if I wasn't in this essay book, I would be like, this is one of the coolest noir collections that's going around. And uh, speaking of Chris McQuarrie, Way of the Gun um, is in there. And uh, so I, I, I strongly recommend getting your hands on it because it's such a spectacular collection. Everybody pick that up. I can't wait myself. That's so cool. Congrats. That's Thank awesome. you. Thank yeah. you. But no, Top Gun, it's great. I love the movie so much. Um, I, 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 I genuinely think it gets better and better. Uh, and uh, it's it feels like a real movie, you know. Even yeah. uh, the, a movie, thing, movie. <laughs> a, a movie where thing like where where people are doing genuine like just the flight sequences in this movie have kind of made all movie flying suck irrevocably. Like Pretty any much. kind of digital thing that you're doing right now is nowhere near as impressive as the lunatic Blue Angels pilots who had to fly these actors around yeah. at these incredibly stupid speeds to register the incredible mm-hmm. movement and dynamism of these jets. And, you know, even I said something to the guys the other week, I was like, even like someone flying something in Wakanda forever, I was like, this doesn't look like flying. No. <laughs> it's stupid. So I, yeah, I, I just love the movie. I think it's fantastic. I think if you own it, it's a, a staple of your collection. And do yourself a favor, just, you know, turn it on. Try to stop watching it after five minutes. You can't. It's impossible. Yeah. I've tried. It's the new challenge, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Take it you to can TikTok it or whatever you want to do. Yes. We're yeah, old. You... We're not on it. Do what you want. Yes. <laughs> I am so old. I mean, you say go to TikTok. I'm like, okay. No, no I can't. I'm, I'm a grown up and I look at all my TikTok stuff on Instagram three weeks after it's been huge. Yes. You know, that's, that's like uh... a normal person. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for doing this, Blake. It's always a oh, pleasure. Jen. Always a pleasure to you. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Everyone who is uh, taking a break, enjoy time with your family. And if people are really annoying you, there's really one soul for that. It's just put on a really good movie. Yeah. Um, That'll shut anyone up if you don't want to talk anymore. Let's just put put on Top Gun Maverick and see if people want to chit chat. You know, they don't. They want to watch Mav. They will um, shut up and just watch. <laughs> and that's what we need at the holidays sometimes. <laughs> shut up and watch. <laughs> exactly. Well, up next, I have a very good friend 
and a New York Times bestselling author, the award-winning Sean Cosby, S.A. Cosby, who wrote such great books as Blacktop Wasteland, Razorblade Tears, his next one, All of Sinners Bleed, is releasing in June of 2023. You can pre-order it. And his first novel, My Darkest Prayer, was just uh, released again in paperback, and it looks gorgeous. And I'm going to be reading that one next. So I really can't wait for that. Sean, thank you so much. How are you doing? Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing pretty good. It's a nice, quiet winter day here in Virginia. Uh, quite a difference from the, uh, the, the, the windswept southwestern vistas of Nope. But uh, <laughs> I am looking forward to discussing it. <laughs> and yes. I'm glad to see you. How are you doing? I am doing well. I'm kind of exactly what you were saying off air. We're both embracing this time off situation, which is new for us. So yeah, as long or as soon as I kick out some of these ensemble apps that I'm recording, then I'm going to be doing nothing just like Sean is. He finished his writing deadlines. So I'm sure before long, we'll be like messaging each other like this is weird, right? Shouldn't we be doing 20 things? But yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Blake will be in it too with us. Like I said, I was staying home or doing nothing till February. I'm bored. What do we do? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I know it's funny. Uh, another friend of ours, Nikki Dolson, who I know you're going to speak with uh, as well. Yeah. She always jokes me that I never really take time off because mm -hmm. I might not have deadlines, but then I'll slam out a couple short stories because I'm yep. bored or something catches my attention. And, uh, but she always jokes me because she's like, one time we were having a conversation and she's like, how long does it take you to write a short story? And I said, <laughs> I don't know, you know, 45 minutes, an hour sometimes. Oh my God. And she's like, well, I hate you now. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I know you're like uh, one of the movies I love, Wonder Boys, where the kid uh, played by Tobey Maguire tells Michael Douglas that, you know, he said, like, how long does it take you to write your short stories? Well, I have trouble sleeping. I work them out in my head. And it's like, boom. Yep. Same thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's Sean. He's always always coming up with cool ideas. I, I try. I mean, it's funny. I don't think my ideas are that original, but uh, there's this great quote by Jack London uh, where somebody asked him about his ideas. And he says, well, I'm not that original, but I'm a hell of an elaborator. So I try to be a <laughs> hell of an elaborator. <laughs> there you go. That's a great quote. Yeah. Speaking of somebody who has sought inspiration in the past, like from Twilight Zone and horror movies he grew up with and sci-fi tales, we're going to be talking here about Jordan Peele's Nope, which is one of the best films of 2022. It is a confusing movie. I've watched it now twice, and I'm still not quite sure I know what the hell is going on, but it's very entertaining. The cast is terrific. I love the performances, and it really does feel like it's of a piece or part of a trilogy with Peel's earlier movies, starting with Get Out and then Us. So, what were what were your, some of your thoughts when you saw this one? I was blown away by Nope. I thought it was an incredible um, revisitation of the classic creature features movies yeah. from the forties and fifties, uh, with a really 
new and fresh and sort of um, interesting uh, reinterpretation of that archetype. You know, you take that classic, you know, and I think the movie's been out long enough now that we can talk about it in full, um, you know, but spoiler alert, you take that classic monster feature and then you reimagine it and recontextualize it with, you know, people of color. You you recontextualize it with a higher existential idea about spectacle and about man's battle with the natural world and trying to control the uncontrollable. Um, you take that, I think, and I think the early creature features were sort of emblematic of that. There's a great movie from the fifties called them about these oh, giant yes. ants. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it was this idea that something in nature that we take for granted, something that we literally step on is now recontextualized and now the roles have been reversed. And so I think even those great creature features that maybe people don't look back on as fondly artistically or uh, technologically, we're saying something that similar to what Nope is saying. I think Nope also takes the idea of characters or individuals who are usually on the periphery of filmmaking and, and, and puts them front and center. I think that, that, you know, we both have been watching movies long enough that we know the old trope that if it's a horror movie, and as a black character, you know, a lot of times yeah. they don't make it to the second act. Yes. You know? and, and so he took he took that idea and turned this on his on his head and really reversed it and allowed uh, the characters of uh, uh, OJ and M to whose life has been spent on the edge of filmmaking and and made them the main character. So there's a lot going on in Nope. Uh, I think the biggest influence on Nope that a lot of people may or may not uh, see that I saw was Jaws. I thought Jaws and Note have hit very, very similar much. beats. Yeah. yeah. When they bring in right Michael to, Wincott. Um, yeah. Yeah, right up into the Michael Wincott character, who's basically uh, the Quint character yep. of this piece. And uh, the idea that they go from wanting to control something in a natural world to ultimately having to kill it to survive. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, uh, if you look at Jaws, initially nobody wants to believe what's going on in Jaws. Then they try to control it by, you know, uh, uh, saying they've gotten the creature or controlling who going, when they go in the water. And, and ultimately it's, it's up to Roy Scheider character to say, no, we, that we have to overcome this. We have to, we have to stop this in so much as the same way as OJ does at, at, toward the end of the movie. So, I, you know, I've rambled on a bit, but I love Nope. I think it is one of my favorite movies of the past for a couple of years. I think it is a movie that both excels at what Jordan Peele does best. It's horrifically terrifying and mm-hmm. disturbing, but also incredibly funny. And yes. so, uh, you know, he, he walks that line between horror and comedy so fine. You know, mm-hmm. you take, you mentioned Michael Wincott and there's, a scene in the movie where Michael Wincott's character, Anthony Holtz, who is this legendary guerrilla filmmaker, this incredibly talented cinematographer, cinematographer yeah. this sort of, yeah, this this sort of animalistic auteur who's fascinated <laughs> with getting the perfect shot, who's mm-hmm. also fascinated with animals and predatory nature. And then yeah. if nothing else, a creature from Nope at the center of Nope is a predator. And there's a scene where the you know Michael Wincott character he's a very serious, very dark, 
brooding type of character. Mm-hmm. He sits at the kitchen table the night before the penultimate yes. scene or you know, penultimate uh, 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 section act. of the movie. Yeah, and he recites. Yeah, he recites the lyrics from the Purple People Eater, which I thought was great because it both yeah. encompasses the the absurdity of what they're going through, but also it he beat because of his voice. He imbues the purple people, you know, with this terrifying, terrifying connotation. And so, yeah. I mean, you know, you got Michael Wincott. Anybody who doesn't know who Michael Wincott is, he's an incredible character actor. He's mm-hmm. played everything from Futterbray in Musk- Three Musketeers to the underrated and great villain uh, Top Dollar in The Crow. And so uh, he's a very unique and interesting uh, actor. And, and I think Jordan Peele puts him to good use. And, you know, he does that, you know, Mr. Purple People Eater. You know, don't eat me. And it's like, yes. oh, it's just such a powerful and disturbing scene. Yes. I love it. I love it. I actually, I actually terrified our friend Nikki. I was watching the movie the other night again in anticipation of our conversation. And I called her and I left that on her voicemail. So that was oh, wow, of- you pulled a rock. <laughs> yes. Yeah. When I watched, no, um, I zeroed in on the same thing the second time around. Um, and, you know, he's got that gravelly voice and, you know, one eyed, one eared, you know, the way he just like really goes in on that song, but like speak, speaking the lyrics, it kind of left me with this weird desire to make it my ringtone. But then I thought, you know, like I would have to change it after like three calls because it would creep me the fuck out, basically. But it's really cool. Like the first few people that call you to hear, you know, Michael Wincott like alerting you to the call that, you know, flying purple people eater is here. And uh, oh my God. Yeah. Another thing I love about this film, I mean, Kiki Palmer, I think, is kind of the one who steals it. She is fabulous. She just took home the Supporting Actress Award from my Phoenix Film Critics uh, group, the Phoenix Critics Circle. So she won that, well-deserved. But I also love Steven Yoon in this. He was so good in Burning and so good in a lot of films that he's in. But I thought his character is really fascinating for the same reasons you mentioned, usually a minority character in a horror movie is killed off right away. But that's not what's going on in a Jordan Peele film. I love how this movie opens and it makes you question what we're doing with animals on sets and how we're using or trying to control nature against its own will or what we should be doing and the ethics involved. And also the idea of child actors and what are we doing to them? And so in this opening sequence, we see his character as a child is on a set when something just horrifying goes wrong. Uh, involving an animal and you know it it pays off later on we learn more and more about it and I feel like you know just this impending danger that we see building in that moment goes throughout the whole film I also think it has some really brilliant set pieces and the way it builds tension like with Angel from the Fry's Electronics which I love that character he's so great you know shows up like I just four years, you know, he had this relationship thing and he's so young loads on them about it. And they're like, how long is this going to take? Because it's weird. And uh, But I love that character that he's a little obsessive and off because tech people sometimes are. So it's almost like 
a cross between Jaws and Close Encounters, but made as a Western, but made as a horror. So he's hitting kind of all the things we love. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think, it, I think uh, Kiki Palmer is incredible. You know, she's got the flashier role as M. Uh, you know, there's this great dynamic between them as brother and sister, yes. um, uh, between uh, uh, Daniel Kaluuya's character, OJ, and between uh, uh, M's character, I mean, from uh, Kiki Palmer's character, M, um, the, they complement each other. You know, yes. she's the sizzle to their presentations for their, exactly. what they do, their business. But he's the stake. He's the one who understands the animals. She understands the business side of it. But they, instead of being antagonistic, they complement each other. And I think that's great. Again, for anybody who hasn't seen the movie, uh, uh, Dan Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer play brother and sister, uh, Emerald and OJ, who run a uh, animal uh, service for movies, basic mainly horses. They do mainly yeah. horse Animal work uh, for series and TV shows and, and movies. And at the beginning of the movie, their father, Otis Senior, or OJ, mm-hmm. uh, Otis OJ Senior, I guess, uh, dies. He gets hit yeah. by a nickel falling out of the sky, and of course, that pays off later in the in the movie uh, when we understand where that nickel actually came from. Um, but no, I think Kiki Palmer is a force of nature in this movie. Um, she is uh, the person who I think most closely resembles the audience in her reactions to what's going on and, and so forth. Um, I think it's interesting what you were saying about Stephen Yoon's character at the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. We see this horrific accident on set with an animal. And like you said, that idea that we have to bend nature to our, it's our will for yeah. it to entertain us for, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it, there's an old, um, and this is this may be me going too deep into this. I don't know if this is what <laughs> Mr. Peel intended, but uh, there's a common phrase among African American community when you're with um, people outside of your c- culture, mm-hmm. and you're they want you to do something. They want you to behave a certain way, or they want you to uh, they want to take advantage of your skills, whether it's athletics, whether it's academics, whether it's music. And there's this common phrase where, and I heard my mom say, you know, they think that we're, uh, you know, they, they think we're going to be monkeys dancing to their tune. Oh. And I thought it was so interesting that he used uh, uh, a chimpanzee in the scene that we're talking about and that the people on set of this this, this scene and the, and the people on the set think that they can bend this animal to their will. They don't respect this animal, mm-hmm. you know, and, and much to the same way, other members of the set don't really respect Stephen Yoon's character. You yeah. know, yeah, as you mentioned, he's the, as a child actor, he's a minority child actor. Mm-hmm. And you get the sense that he is an added character to create a sense of unearned diversity on this show. That he's yes. On, you know, he's being used. Um, yep. You know, he's, yes, he's being used. He's a being token. used. His, his actual, yeah, his actual ethnicity is used as a a a prop in a sitcom it's a it's a it's a it's a joke you know Mm -hmm. it's a punchline much as the way they they don't view him very much different than they view um gordy the chimpanzee and i thought that was a very interesting subtle critique of hollywood and hollywood's treatment of and i'm not comparing uh people of color to animals i'm saying that in hollywood sometimes people who are in charge don't make that distinction. That's and I true. thought that was very clever. I thought that was very deep on Jordan Peele's uh, 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 hand. Um, also, 
wanted to say about Daniel Kalua. I loved as much as I love Kiki Palmer's performance. I really love Daniel Kalua's performance. Oh, he's wonderful. He is a very good actor when it comes to he acts in the spaces between words. You know, yes, Pacino you can always see too. him thinking in character like you saw it. That's kind of why Get Out is as powerful as it is, because you know what's going on, like the wheels are turning and you can feel it and sense it. And it's great. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also I'll say about him again, I'll, I'll move on. But he compared I compared him to Pacino in that like in The Godfather, which we talked about ad nauseum. Um Pacino playing Michael Corleone is always thinking. Mm-hmm. He's always thinking. He's always, you know, there's this cliche now that somebody is playing four-dimensional chess. But when you see actors like Kalua, like Pacino, um, to a lesser extent, uh, or early Robert Duvall, um, these are characters who are literally playing emotional chess. They're thinking three and four moves ahead. Um, to protect themselves, because ultimately that type of acting, that type of presence comes from a sense of pain. You mm-hmm. know, they, they want to protect themselves. So they have to see all the angles. They have to look ahead. Um, and I thought Kalua did an incredible job. Also, one other thing I'll say, um, the title of the movie, Note, is very was very funny to me when I first saw yes. the advertisement for it. Because, again, going back to the 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 sort of uh, 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 the sort of art, uh, uh, tangential uh, cultural references. Um, there's a joke in in, in, my, uh, in the in the black community when you watch a horror movie that a lot of times uh, black characters won't make mistakes that other characters will mm-hmm. because you you know and you you laugh at it because you grow up being on edge as an African American sure. in America. You grow up being aware of your surroundings, and so. You learn not to, you know, there's a classic joke that plays on racial stereotypes where um, comedians will say, you know, if <laughs> if you're a black person and you other black people running away from something, you don't go investigate it. You just follow no. them because it's like, well, I trust them implicitly. Our, our shared experiences make me realize they probably know what they're talking about. So I'm just going to go that way. And so the idea of saying nope is sort of playing with that cultural uh, aesthetic. You know, um, and, and actually, you know, it's funny. There are scenes in the movie where Jordan Peele really leans into that. Yeah, um, there's a scene nope. where uh, OJ, yeah, OJ gets trapped in a truck, and yep. the creature, the animal, the monster, is is hovering outside, and he looks out the window and he closes the door very gently, and like nope, and just sits there for the rest of the night. And so that sort of he's playing. Peele is always, I think recontextualizing horror movies through a prism of the African-American experience. And so playing with that idea, that sort of idea or that concept that we are on edge all the time. And because of that, it almost gives us a, a sixth sense about danger and about horror. I thought that was really brilliant. He he does that in um, Get Out, in the very first scene of Get Out, when the character, uh, by Keith Stansfield, is trying to find his address Things seem off. Things seem not right. And he's like, Mm-mm. he tries to get away. Unfortunately, he doesn't escape. But his sense of self-preservation is there. And I think that's something that uh, Peel plays with that idea and that concept really well. Um, so Kalua's character, one more thing I'll say about him before I move on. I love that not only is Jordan Peel playing with the creature feature 
aspect. But as you said, he's playing with the horror aspect, the sci-fi aspect, and the Western yes. aspect. Because OJ is is a direct, um, you know, uh, he's in that lineage of strong but silent Western characters. You know, he's yeah, Gary Cooper, related he's Shane, to you know? the man who was in the first, you know, image for filmmaking of a black yeah. man on a horse. Yes. Uh, there's a there's a scene toward the end of the movie where Dan Kaluuya, where OJ is 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 running, uh, he's riding his horse, and he's trying to get the creature that they need, they nicknamed Jean Jacket, yes. to follow him. And there's a scene where the music, the score swelled. He's on it's that horse. So you good. see the cloud of dust picked up from his hoofs. And I remember being in the theater. I did see this in the theater, and I remember being in the theater on the edge of my seat. Because it was just, it was everything that you want a strong mythic hero to be. You know, yeah. it, it, he was everything in that moment. I, I would love to see a Jordan Peele Western. Uh, we had a black Western earlier this last year. I'm sorry. Um, Harder They Fall with Idris Elba, Regina King, the great Jonathan Majors. I'd love to see Keel, uh, Jordan Peele's interpretation of that. I would, because I think based on Nope, he has the, the filmmaking pedigree to do it um but yeah no i i love kalua in this in this i love kalua anyway i think he's very un, even though he's won an oscar i still think he's kind of underrated uh he won for uh playing yeah, fred he, hampton yeah and judas and the black great in widows which a movie i a was movie just gonna a lot of people haven't seen. yeah nikki oh, and God, i covered he's so it. menacing in widows <laughs> yes oh my gosh Nikki and I covered it in May and we just kind of went on and on about uh, Kalua in that movie he's amazing in it so I almost would have given a reward for that come on he's marvelous or maybe both but yeah he is really phenomenal here I like what you were saying about inherent danger and kind of trusting um, you know I'm I'm obviously Caucasian but uh, as a woman, kind of the same thing. If enough women tell you, hey, that guy is bad news, you're not going to go yes. out with that guy, basically. Yes. Trust your instinct yes. about a guy, you know, so I can kind of relate on that level. But I love Definitely. all of the things you were mentioning, especially it is like the Stephen Yoon character is a Western hero. He puts on a Western show at this, uh, forgot the name of the place. Is it Jupiter's claim? Yeah. Something like yeah, that. Jupiter's claim. Jupiter's yeah. claim is the name of like this theme park extravaganza show that they put on involving horses. And, you know, he's he's a showman. He's a former child star. And so there is this sort of Western element of putting on a show within a show, but it's never really winking at you. I also appreciated what it's trying to say about um you know, the legacy you carry on from your family and what do you owe them? You can see M probably felt a little left out of the macho or the masculine uh, deal involving, you know, training the horses. They they took kind of her out of the limelight when she was wanting to work with her own horse, who I think was Jean Jacket. They, they used the name twice in this movie. Yeah, and it's so good. So, yeah, I was going to ask you, um, I mean, feel free to comment on any of that, but I was also going to ask you how you viewed it in the trilogy, if you think they are linked together or ranking or any thoughts within this world he's created. Yeah, 
I'll just think I'll say about Steven Yeun's character. I think his character was fascinating to me because, um, you know, Jupe has survived this horrific thing, this yes. horrible, almost urban legend esque event. Yeah. And I thought what I took from him as a filmmaker, I mean, a film goer, was that it imbued him with with an unearned confidence that it he really thought did. he mm-hmm. was the one. Who, yeah, he's the one who learned the secret of controlling animals, of controlling. Yes the natural world and he's so wrong and he thinks you know it's there's an old uh roman proverb that says foolish is the man that trusts a tame wolf and i think that is something that you can look at both uh intrinsically in a human way but also in a more philosophical way about the natural world no wild and I, i grew up in the country i grew up in a very rural area i grew up around farm animals domesticated animals pigs chickens uh, one very unruly goat when I was a kid. Um, but I knew I was raised with the idea there's a distinct difference between these animals, right? And coyotes and bears oh, and yeah. deer and rabbits mm-hmm. and raccoons. And there's a difference between a domesticated animal and a wild animal. And, you know, uh, you can have a wild animal that you think you've tamed, but you've never tamed that wildness out of them 100%. Um, my next door neighbor had a, uh, a a wolf dog hybrid. He had a dog that was half wolf, half dog. And my grandfather used to tell me all the time. He said one day, uh, I'm not gonna say, <laughs> day, but he said one day, blank is gonna wake up and that dog's gonna bite his effing hand off. Yeah. And we all laughed at it because we loved the dog. It was this big furry, you know, monster of a dog. He looked like a black bear. He was huge. Mm-hmm. And then one day, uh, that man next door got arguing with his wife. Uh-oh. And apparently he either pushed her or acted like he was going to push her. And that dog effed him up. Effed wow. him up. Yeah. And, you know, that he never, like my grandfather said, he thought he had tamed that dog. No, that dog had just agreed to be around him. Yeah. And I think that's what dupe doesn't understand about the creature and nope he thinks he's tamed it he thinks he has a special connection with it that's the way he processes his trauma and unfortunately for him the way he's processing his trauma is not healthy because he doesn't tame that animal he doesn't have a special connection with it the animal just liked the fact that he was feeding horses and when it didn't and then when it didn't have a horse to eat it ate other things um (laughs) i'll just leave it at that um but um I will say this about the movie itself. I rank it higher. I don't know if it's a connection. But I'll say two things. I don't know if it's a part of a trilogy so much as I do think all of his movies exist and happen in the same That's sort of my universe. Thinking. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, I think Nope happens in the same universe as us and get out. Um, oh, for sure. I think, yeah. uh, you know, I think uh, Daniel Kaluuya, is a character that I think both his characters exist simultaneously in the shared universe. Yeah. So the character we get out exists alongside OJ. Um, and um, I think now, if you ask me dramatically, which ones do I enjoy? Like if I rank them, yeah. I would probably say it's get out. Nope. And then us, I, I like us. I think us I'm with you. is a really ambitious film that sort of stretched his concept, maybe to the breaking point. Uh, Get Out is a classic. I think um, to this day, I don't think it's fully appreciated for how revolutionary it was, even though he won the Oscar and everything. Um, And Nope, I think, 
Nope to me felt like a movie where he's still doing the Jordan Peele thing, which is layering upon layers of social commentary of, uh, of, of historical commentary, but it felt more relaxed. Yeah. It's a get out and Nope feel like he's having more fun. Whereas us feels like you can almost see the stress of like, I've got to make another follow up hit. Nope is like a a filmmaker saying, no, I'm going to do really crazy shit and I'm going to really enjoy it. I'm going to do my usual thing. I'm going to talk about the things that are important to me, but I'm going to really have interesting set pieces. There's a thing that happens in Nope, and I didn't pick up on it until the second time or third time reading or watching it, that (laughs) there's screams that are heard throughout the movie. And when you realize where the screams are coming from, it's terrifying. And I remember... They sounded familiar to me. And I read an article that they the screams were, uh, they used, or the basis for the screams are people screaming on a roller coaster. And I oh, thought wow. that was so brilliant to take mm-hmm. something that is so imbued with fun and imbued with a, an idea of safety. That idea, again, of controlling the natural forces of the world. Man's idea that I can control gravity to the point that I can push you right to the edge of something that's terrifying, but you know that you're safe. And that's what movies do. That's what movies are to a certain extent. And then again, the they, the omnipresence of those screams, once you realize where they're coming from, is is skin crawling. And so uh, I felt like Nope really was Peel sort of just having fun, just enjoying himself. Yes, talking about the things that are important to him, but also really leaning into the idea of what filmmaking can be as far as for the filmmaker. I think, you know, we all as creative people want to have messages in our work. We want to talk about the big issues, you know, the capital letter issues, so Mm -hmm. to speak. But at the end of the day, I also, you know, and I'm not comparing myself to Jordan Peele, but I'm just saying as a creative person, I want you to enjoy what I'm doing. I want you to have fun with it. And I thought that really came through with no, the scene with the, the TMZ motorcyclist, Oh my God. It's hilarious. It's great. I love that scene. Yes. Yeah. It it felt like something I had seen before. Um, I think I'm trying to remember what, but it also, I think, involved a motorcycle, uh, somebody. Um, yeah, it, I think that was a play on something and I'm blanking on the film that it is, but I love all of what you were saying. When you mentioned a roller coaster, it brought back a, an experience I had in childhood. And then it kind of links in with what you were saying about your neighbor's dog, which is I was at a Valley Fair theme park, which was what we had in Minnesota. And I remember I got to the top of a ride called the Corkscrew, which was a roller coaster and my seatbelt wouldn't lock. And I was terrified the entire time. I was like, I am just going to die on this roller coaster. I think I was maybe 10 years old and, you know, I'm already screaming my head up. And so then I could hear the first lock that happens, like the first lock and it didn't lock. And then it finally, there must've been a second safety lock that kicked in at the top of the first hill. And cause the people behind me knew what was going on too. Cause they could see me like 
you know, messing with it. And the second one locked. And after that, I never went on that roller coaster again. I remember <laughs> telling them what happened. And I don't know if the girl believed me because she was just a teenager with a summer job. But um, <laughs> but it scared, you know, the shit out of me, obviously. Yeah. Like we are trusting these things and they're fun, but there's this element of danger. And I think what you were also saying is he seems more relaxed and like he's enjoying it. That might have come a little bit out of the pandemic, which is when he started really writing this and kind of like, I mean, you can also kind of tell it's people who are deserted. They're away from civilization, probably Jordan Peele being really smart there. Like we can have a skeleton crew and a skeleton cast. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm not saying Mm -hmm. probably was a skeleton. I mean, this thing looks like it costs a lot of money, but you know what I mean? Like um, even just some of the Jupiter's claim stuff, they could be a little careful on how they shot that. Uh, So it does (laughs) seem to kind of come out of this. I want to get back out of my damn house and have some fun with these wide open spaces and make a big spectacle because us is a little more claustrophobic and a little more mannered. Uh, I do need to watch it again. I remember really responding to it, but feeling it was a little long, if I remember mm-hmm. right. But I love Get Out. I think the the line read that kills me the most in that was Allison Williams uh, making the line about, you know, I can't give you the keys, right, babe? Or something mm-hmm. like that is the scariest goddamn line read just the way she just layers it with something and i feel like we never really you know respected her performance because oh my god yeah terrified me yeah yeah oh no i love get out i remember i've watched it i watched it three times in theaters and i've watched it numerous times at home and and in theaters that line elicits the most visceral response from people yeah because he's getting ready to leave you think she's you that because that line and I'm not going to make this a conversation about get out, but that line read makes you realize, oh my god, she's in on it. Yes, you know, because up to that point, you think it's it's the parents, it's the mother, the father, and the brother. Yeah, they're crazy. the other generation, and, and they're think, off. Well, yeah, yeah, and he really does that. He really foreshadows that twist when you go back and watch the movie again. Oh, how god, yeah. she yeah. stood up to the cop for him and you think wow she's got his back no she didn't want him to run that guy's license because she didn't want anybody to know he was out there you know and so when she's like can't give the keys babe and it's just it's such an innocuous line read but it's pregnant with such menace so yeah yeah, he knows uh he knows what he's doing and uh yeah but no i thought nope there were scenes in nope where i genuinely was really nervous and scared like yeah um there's a scene with the, the neighbor's kids jupe's kids mm-hmm. pretend to be aliens because up to that point we've been oh yeah let's believe this is gonna be alien yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> that scene is terrifying the scene when the first horse runs off from into the distance and dan yes. kalua goes out at night also we need to talk about the incredible night cinematography of oh, uh Wonderful. Of, of this movie, yeah. they, they, they incredible. It's not day for night. They really did shoot a lot at night, so it's an, a beautiful and almost ethereal look to the film. But that helps add to the terror, to the suspense. Um, I think for me, once you see, once you see Jean Jacket, the creature, and you realize, oh wow, this is not just a UFO. This isn't just a flying saucer. 
This mm-hmm. is a monster. This is a thing. Um, it loses it loses a little bit of the magic for me, just a touch. But then he re he re uh, re ups the magic because you realize, oh my god, those screams that you've heard are people being digested by this monster. Yes. This, this oh my creature, god, I this, know. This, yeah. <laughs> so once you realize that and you see it and you're like oh shit then there's the blood rain scene which we haven't mentioned where there's mm-hmm. a scene where uh the creature uh you know when you eat something stuff gotta come out and <laughs> there's yeah. a scene where he rains blood all over the house and there's bits of metal and teeth and 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 then you realize oh god oh god this Oh, what the hell? And yeah. so, but even that, even that is sort of Jordan Peele playing with the idea of spectacle and 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 the idea of who are we? You know, he's questioning our voyeurism and mm-hmm. what we want to see versus what is actually happening, I think. Um, I want to say something real quick. So again, spoiler alert, if you listen to this and you haven't seen the movie. Um, yeah, you should. But it's OJ's character who realizes that the, yeah, it's OJ's character that realizes the creature is is a predator. It's an animal, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and he makes this beautiful line read, as you talked about Allison Williams' line read. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, he makes this beautiful line read, you know, you know, he's big and he's tough, but mm-hmm. any animal can be broken. And it's like, oh, God, yeah. it's so true and so sad. It you is, know? it is. And so, and so toward the end of the movie, they, they have this big plan to capture an image of the creature because they feel like an actual clear un you know you know this definite uh image of this creature will be worth a lot of money it's the oprah winfrey moment as they call it in the movie yeah uh, that's why they get antler antler host played by the great michael wincott you know and um they have this plan to do that and the plan goes awry and so as the plan starts to fall apart oj seemingly sacrifice that's a question i'm gonna ask you in a minute but oj seemingly sacrifices himself to save him and mm-hmm. the way he does it is he stands up to this predator he yeah he basically makes this predator you know try to bluff him as uh mm-hmm. anybody who knows about animal behavior knows a lot of times animals will bluff you a, a, a bear will fake charge a bull will fake charge um you know until they feel like they have no choice and then they really are coming after you yeah. Uh, and so he makes this animal bluff him. And what happens is, you know, the animal changes. It reveals either its true self. I always felt like the jean jacket that we see in the, for the majority of the movie is uh, <laughs> is the larval stage of this creature. And that the jean jacket we see at the very end is sort of its butterfly when it comes out of this sort of cocoon that was in. I think that's why I was eating so much, like a, like a giant mm-hmm. flying caterpillar. Um, but also that says something about change and that says something about growth that maybe Jordan Peele either is intentionally saying or unintentionally saying. Now, I had a friend who went to see this with me and he said, <laughs> he said at the end that the Jean Jacket character looks like a biblically accurate angel, which is terrifying. I don't know if anybody is familiar with Christian wow. theology or Christian theology, but biblically biblically accurate angels do not look like babies with wings. They're horrifying 
creatures from beyond the eldritch rim of time and space. And that's what my friend thinks, Gene Jack. He said he looks like a seraphim. So anybody who knows what a seraphim is, look that up. Uh, but he said at the end of the movie, he looks like a seraphim. And he said, maybe Gene Jacket is what we think an angel is. And maybe, you know, that spectacle, you know, he said, because what is religion but spectacle on an existential oh, stage? So, wow. Yeah. Yes, yeah. there's a lot. And, and I think that is a that is an interesting question, you know, it, it, because film and, and filmmaking is is a sort of shared experience in the same way that religious ecstasy is a shared experience. And you know, so when many, you're in a church, yeah. There's, there's, we, yeah, we're sort of all agreeing upon this idea that mm-hmm. we're communing with a, a, a being beyond, you know, the natural world. Um, when you're in a movie, we all agree on this idea that we're going to accept the idea of creatures on screen that are beyond the natural world, whether they're supermen flying in, you know, armored uh, uh, suits or whether they're werewolves or monsters or creatures, we are all accepting this idea that the suspension of disbelief is something that we can attain. And so I think that's an interesting uh, way to look at it. I don't know if he's going that deep with it when I say that, Mr. Peel, but I think the beauty and the joy of his work is that it opens itself to that kind of interpretation. Now I wanted to ask you a question since you've okay, seen the movie. I was gonna Do you ask. think OJ made it? Oh, first I was uh, going to talk about the just, church thing. Um, which yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that interpretation. That's fascinating because so many of our great filmmakers wanted to be priests or had that kind of background. Like, I mean, Martin Scorsese, uh, I don't know if he started seminary or he thought about starting seminary. Uh, Paul Schrader wanted to as well. Um, He was Dutch Calvinist, uh, not Catholic, but um, a lot of our filmmakers do have that overlap. And Scorsese has compared going to the movies to going to church uh, often, I think he said, movies are my church or that kind of thing. Um, he, you know, famously made Last Last Temptation of Christ, which he said he made to understand Jesus more. But then he said it, it actually confused him more than he was uh, confused going in, which I love that as well. And so I think there is something about spectacle and um, also these stories that we pass down to people, the morals and the myth. And, you know, myth making has been around since the beginning, just like, uh, you know, biblical storytelling. So I I love all of that. I had never uh, considered that going in. And now that's really interesting to me. But yes, you were going to ask a question. Sorry. So for me, and I had a conversation with another friend of ours, uh, I'm name dropping today, but I had a conversation with another friend of ours, uh, Jordan Harper, and he and I were talking about he's a writer as well as I am. Yeah. And to, for my money, Jordan is one of the top three crime writers working today. I, I love Oh yeah. He's um, but even more so than that, he's a really great, I don't think he would call himself a philosopher, but he's a really great uh, thinker about mm-hmm. writing, about creativity. Yeah. And so he and I had a discussion about, yeah, he, he and I had a discussion about our different aesthetics. Like mm-hmm. we're both crime writers. We both write really, hard-boiled, heavy-duty crime stories, but Jordan seems to lean toward a more, I don't want to say anarchic, a, a, a sort of anar- uh, uh, anarchy sort of idea, a nihilistic sort of idea of, of, of fiction, that everybody's dirty and everybody's bad. It's just to what varying degree. 
And he made the observation that I lean more toward the traditional Western Old Testament sort of aesthetic. Uh, when I can see that writing. a little. That are, yeah. That there are good or bad people. And even, the, you know, eventually the bad people get caught and eventually the bad people pay, even if the good people have to suffer a little bit. And I think that does, I, I, I agree with that. I think that's an astute observation on his part. Um, and so I think with that being said, for me, I believed uh, that the ending of Nope, that OJ survives. I, do I, too. I wanted to ask you, what did you think? Okay. Cause yep. I feel like he, I don't think that's an, I don't think that's a hallucination that M is having at the end. Uh, I don't think that's her wishful thinking that she sees uh, OJ. Uh, I think he really does make it. I think he survives. I think Peel ends it that way, though, to just give the movie a sort of uh, 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 a elegant, an elegant eulogy, sort of. Uh, mm-hmm. But for me, I think he makes it just because I feel like <laughs> really he deserves to make it. I, I really do. I, and I think that him and M deserve their uh, Oprah Winfrey moment. Um, I but agree with you. Yeah, I, I love that movie. Yeah, I think that movie is great. I think Michael, I, I, like you said, I love Michael Wincott's performance. I yes. love that vocal, that thing where he, you know, he takes this really silly story, this silly song, and yeah. just uh, leans he right into it. And, yeah, and he doesn't tell them. He doesn't explain himself after he does it. No. He just sits there and like just does it. Know, uh, uh. <laughs> he just sits there and is like, I saw one of that purple people eater. What I purple people either. Please donate me. And it's like, <laughs> the fuck? <laughs> oh my God. So I love Nope. I think it is one of the best movies of the year. I definitely have it in my top 10. I think it is a movie that is not easily uh, quantified into any particular, like you said, it's a Western, it's a horror movie, it's a creature feature, it's sci-fi, it's a brother and sister drama, it's a beautiful, uh, I think it also is a movie that is examining and forcing us to examine our part. You know, I think movie, film going and movie going is a a, a, a conceit, a, a, we we had an agreement, we form a pact with the filmmaker. You know, he's going, he or she is going to present something, the spectacle, and we're going to consume it. And I think Nope really challenges the idea of how we consume a spectacle and what is our part in it. You know, it's like, going back to the beginning of the movie, Gordy's on that TV show because Gordy probably brought in ratings, just like Jupe brought in ratings. And how much of that and what happens to people like that is yeah. our fault is is, is uh, how much blame do we share you know jordan i'm gonna use jordan harper again he has a book coming out called everybody knows which is takes place in the underbelly of the hollywood uh studio the modern day hollywood studio system I mm-hmm. say. and he has a great line in there he said everybody likes to talk about actresses being crazy but nobody likes to talk about what got them that way and it's like that mm-hmm. is such a powerful line. And it's such an indictment of us as entertainment consumers. You know, our sort of yeah, what un- do we owe and what are we uncontrollable doing? appetite for mm-hmm. entertainment and, and how much of that is 
you know, what happens to people in that pursuit of entertainment. How much of that is our fault? You know, we, you know, talking about Jupe as a child actor and, you know, he's out there on this, this farm, he's trying to create this Western uh, experience. Uh, you know, he's got a wife, he's got children, you know, he's actually bucked the rates for uh, child actors in that, in the context of note, he's successful. A lot of child yeah. actors are, you know, incredibly damaged and he's damaged, but he's, you know, to the naked eye, he's successful, you know, internally, you know, mm-hmm. he's still terrified of that moment, that, that terrible thing that happened to him. Oh yeah. But he's tried to control it. And I think that's an interesting question about how do we deal with people, child actors, or just adult actors? How do we deal with people who sacrifice everything for our entertainment? You know, one of my favorite performances in film in the last, and ever, is uh, is Heath Ledger as the Joker, right? Yeah. I love that performance. I think it really was worthy of the Oscar. I don't think he just won it because he mm-hmm. passed away. But that being said, I've always thought, you know, how much of what happened to him was the fact that he pushed himself so far for us. To entertain us mm-hmm. that and that he couldn't come back from it so you know he couldn't sleep he couldn't eat and so the thing that happened to him how much of that was you know his sacrifice for us and then that gets the whole thing you said about religion about Scorsese and Schrader and Abel Ferrer and, and folks like that that yeah. is you know that sort of idea of Christ-like uh, uh, that sort of Christ-like sacrifice that mm-hmm. actors and actresses and directors and filmmakers make to entertain us, you know, yeah. to, to, you know, to make us happy, to give us sort of a purpose and a reason to, you know, to be here. And so, you know, maybe not so much with Scorsese, but definitely with directors and actors, like I mentioned, Heath Ledger, David Lynch, or actors and a- actresses and filmmakers who you can tell the, the act of creation comes from a very deep, deep place. And yeah. sometimes going to that deep place, it's hard to come back from it, you know. And I think with Peel, with Nope, I think he's saying to us, the audience, maybe we should be more judicious with what we consume, you know. Yeah. Maybe we should be more careful about what we take as entertainment, um, you know. And, what we're and then also one thing I think people. we'd be remiss. Yeah. yeah, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about it. I wanted to ask your opinion about it. The idea of what's a bad miracle, the idea of something you know, uh, something uncanny that happens as yeah. opposed to something religious, you know? Um, yeah, and, and so everything happens the beginning for of the a movie, reason people like to say, but sometimes bad things happen. And yes, exactly. There's a scene in the movie during the Gordy Rampage where yeah. one of the actresses' shoe is just sitting on it on, straight up and down. Yep. And it doesn't fall over. Nothing's holding it up. And, and I know people that I've <laughs> I know people that I like that aren't into movies as much as I am, and I've made them watch Nope, and they're like, "Man, what the fuck is up with the shoe?" And I'm like, "And I, for me, I thought, and maybe again, I'm reading into it, maybe something that wasn't meant to be there, but I think for me, the shoe, the fact that Otis Senior gets hit by a nickel out of the sky, yes. um, all of these things that happen, the wheelchair on top of the house toward the end of the Yes, movie, they make sure that we, we know about expelled. that. Yeah. Yeah. All these things are bad miracles. They're unexplainable events. Yeah. Sometimes life makes no sense. Exactly. And there's nothing yep. you can do about it. Why mm-hmm. does that shoe stand up on one end? You know? And, yep. and, and, and so it's the, it's the, it's the kin 
it's akin to the idea of a person who's in a tornado, right? And they mm-hmm. get picked up and then they're dropped safely in the middle of a field. You know, meanwhile, your house is gone, you know, yes. and everything around you's been destroyed. And because so that you just idea can't of explain that, it. Yep. You know, it goes and it goes back to I think that sort of, you know, and I don't know if this was his intent, but sort of that that Nietzschean, that sort of Kierkegaardian idea of philosophy of man's place in the universe, that we are just the benefits of happy accidents, you yep. know, and maybe nothing means anything. Mm-hmm. Or maybe everything means something. We just can't conceive it. And so I think that's for me, that's something that is very fascinating with filmmakers and filmmaking. And I think that's something that Nope is 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 talking about. That being said, you can also just enjoy Nope for an exhilarating, horrific, terrifying, you know, almost matinee uh creature feature experience. And I think that's the genius of what Jordan Peele does. And I think that's what a, a lot of creative people want to do, whether you're a writer, a filmmaker, an actor, you want to create something that has a multiplicity of layers. So you can just enjoy it as a horror movie, or you can pull back layers and dig deeper and see some of the sociological and existential things that he's talking about. You don't have to. That doesn't distract from your enjoyment of the movie. I think it just makes the movie more complex, more nuanced. And for me, it makes it way more interesting. Yeah, basically, it's the equivalent of that cheap, funny shirt that you see every once in a while that to do is to be by Nietzsche, uh, to be is to do by Kant. And then below it, you have doobie doobie doo and it's Sinatra. (laughs) So you can look deeper or you can just enjoy the hell out of it or you have to pick your own philosophy, (laughs) choose your own adventure. That's what we're going for here. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I want to thank you so much for doing this and for talking about this great film with me, Sean. I always learn so much when I talk to you and it's always a pleasure. So thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure to talk about it and it's a pleasure to talk to you. And, uh, you know, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. It's great seeing you again. Yes. Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays to everyone listening as well. And especially you, Sean, as well. Thank you. Well, I'm here with one of my very good friends, Nikki Dolson, who is a wonderful crime writer. Her work has been all over the internet. And also she was in the BAMS last year, the best American mystery and suspense stories. And I highly recommend she writes about mistresses and dead husbands and hit women and female boxers and you know lots of great criminal behavior and i i always love and highly recommend nikki's work so i hope you do seek it out nikki thank you so much for being here how are you doing thank you for having me as always um it is of course. a pleasure uh, i always talk to you you're so much fun wow. um things are good how are you you look great everyone she looks great <laughs> So does Nikki. Yes. <laughs> yes, I know. We are <laughs> just imagine us being the most glamorous women you've ever, you know, seen in your life. And that's an yes. accurate assessment today. No, I'm yes. just kidding. <laughs> Full blowout. Just yep. no. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's it's very Coco Chanel, eat your heart out kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're going to the Oscars. It's a thing. Yeah. Yes, (laughs) exactly. No, not even. But we are here to talk about 
a really mm-hmm. fun movie. Nikki, if you guys remember, if you're longtime listeners, the first time I had her on in the first season, we went over heist movies and it was we had a ball doing it. And we both found out we love Sam Rockwell as an mm-hmm. actor. Always enjoy seeing him. And so this year when I was kind of getting stuff sent to me, like various discs in the back half of this year, one of them was The Bad Guys, which I had a lot of fun with. It's a great animated movie. It's very, very funny. And it features a really cool vocal performance from Sam Rockwell. So I knew I had to ask Nikki. Nikki, what did you think of The Bad Guys? Absolutely tickled from moment one. Like, truly, truly. Um there is a moment, uh, God, it was like the first 20 minutes or so. I think right when the plot was really getting going and I just laughed out loud, hollered. Like it was just <laughs> so, like I didn't know really what I was going into. I'm like, I am always here for a good animated movie. I, I oh yeah. I, you know, it's, it's, it's so much fun. Um, and just, I was surprised in moments, and one of them being that little laugh out loud moment. Are we spoiling? Are we going to? We're going to spoil. Right? We can spoil stuff. Why not? Yeah. The moment when <laughs> the little old lady moment on the stairs and yes, hollered, hollered <laughs> <laughs> that he was suddenly good. Yes, like, that was so funny. It's the whole thing, a praise kink. He just wants to be good. And that yes. was like the whole thing. And it was so much fun. It was the best thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> I know. It is just really, really funny. Like even the beginning, you can kind of see the inspiration that they drew. I guess it was a book series. I haven't read the book. I don't have kids. But, um, you know, they're in a diner and it's very Pulp Fiction. And you have the snake yeah. there and the snake like is obsessed with eating guinea pigs. And Sam Rockwell has some line like enough with the guinea pigs or something like that. And it just <laughs> it kills you. Yeah. Yes. It is yes. very it, funny. So, so much of that is unexpected. Like he, you know, <laughs> regurgitates the clock. Look what time it is. We have to go now <laughs> or whatever. Yes. So, yes. Yes. Um I feel like there's a little bit like the snake regurgitating stuff is like the 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 ick factor that little kids like. Yeah, yeah. And also, you know, it's it's very and not it's not even geared toward adults. It's just there. It's just really yep. Yeah. Yeah, and the whole ensemble is really funny mm-hmm. together. Mark Marin's snake evidently. I don't I haven't seen him in a lot of things. I know of him in general internet knowledge, <laughs> but yes, yeah, Mark Maron very well. Um, okay. So in addition to Sam Rockwell, we do have Mark Maron who podcast listeners know, of course, for his podcast. And also he was on that great show on Netflix glow. Uh, very good on that. Aquafina, I think, has a really good voice for this. Sometimes I will admit she can be a bit much to take in roles, uh, live action roles, but she's so, so good here. You have Craig Robinson, Anthony Ramos, Zazie Beetz, Lily Singh, Alex Borstein. So you do have a really good cast. It's it's very, very funny. And I love the vibrant animation. It is from DreamWorks Animation, and I guess they kind of sought some inspiration from the Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, hmm. um, as far as the style goes. 
Oh yeah. You yeah. know, right. Yeah. I was thinking about that now. Yeah. yeah. I really did like the animation itself, just how that was done. I mean, the, the, the still, you still had like the black line drawing around yep. that color for the eyes and to, to get the other expressions on that solid background of color or the very, to make up their fur or whatnot like that. And just, it's just, it was just fun. It was it, great. It is fun. Yeah. Um, Such a good premise idea too, that all of the bad animals are kind of just known for being bad. So they are the villains that, you know, if you see them walk in a bank, you just immediately get freaked out that stuff is going to go down because it's Mr. Wolf, Mr. Snake, Mr. Piranha, Mr. Shark, and Miss Tarantula. And, um, you know, I, I think that's a really, that they all kind of team up, like we're the bad animals, but as Nikki was saying, pointing out that scene, you know, Mr. Wolf just wants to be good. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, so call it, it very much little, what, Reservoir Dogs too? How it- A little bit, yeah. In there. And then um, when you see them all together and they're all walking, you get a little bit of that too. Yes. Yeah, it was great. It's great. Um, also just the, there was only one moment where I was like, wait a minute. So, I mean, it's a cartoon universe. You just accept it all. And this is how yeah. it works. However, so the Professor Marmalade is a guinea pig. Yes. Uh, which, of course, you know, Snake is all about. Uh, <laughs> Always wants then, to eat them. Yeah. But then there's guinea pigs being used for testing and nobody has a problem with that. Like, what's the difference between those guinea pigs? Like, that was my only question. What? Why are they... The guinea guinea pigs who have, you know, a house, a car. You know, it's kind of like the Disney situation where it's like, what is going on with Goofy versus Pluto? Like, what is Goofy? Like, why (laughs) does he get to do things? And Pluto is just a dog. Yeah. Yes. Yes. There's a hierarchy going on. I think it's political. No, we don't really know. (laughs) What is going on with these animals, Nikki? And what I love is yesterday when I was messaging Nikki about this, like, you know, we're probably going to need some more stuff to talk about. And uh, you suggested pairing it with DC's League of Super Pets, which I had not seen before. It was over on HBO. And you know what? I had a ball with that one as well. It is very, very funny. I think my favorite part of that was Keanu Reeves voicing uh, the Batman. Yeah. Just some of the lines they gave him were hilarious. Like uh, Superman and his dog and Superman's dog likes to play with a squeaky toy that they they call, was it um, something Bruce? I can't remember. Uh, uh, squeaky Bruce. Squeaky Bruce. Bruce. Yeah. Squeaky Bruce. And, yes. uh, so the squeaky <laughs> toy is Squeaky Bruce. And so he throws it, you know, and the dog fetches. And mm-hmm. what I love is at the end of the movie, Keanu Reeves, the Batman, sees Squeaky Bruce mm-hmm. and just has this like delivery of that better be a licensed toy or I'm gonna freak out. And it was just <laughs> yeah. so stupid, but I like lost my shit for a good two minutes. <laughs> so, it's also because secretly you're like, that's John Wick. That's definitely yes. John Wick. <laughs> <laughs> It's so much fun. It's so much fun. Like yeah. they just go for it. And I appreciate that so much. 
Yeah, so, and I think Mark Marin is in that one too, which is like I don't he? know. He's he's the voice <laughs> of of multiple. Yes, he's and, Lex Luthor. He's yeah, Lex he Luthor in that one. That's hilarious to me. <laughs> yes, I know. And what I love too is as Nikki was setting this up, she's like, you know, there are two bad guinea pigs, <laughs> and so I don't know what was going on with you know maybe there's some childhood repression of, <laughs> of the guinea pig situation or what the deal was with hating on guinea pigs this year mm-hmm. but yeah. yeah Kate McKinnon's it- character was was the guinea pig who wanted world domination and yes yeah they both want that yeah They're both like you know I'm tiny but yes. I'm powerful but is I'm it tiny like- but I'm mighty yeah yes but is it like when studios competing studios come out with you know the, the volcano movie or the the end yeah, of the yeah. World movie yeah is it like that there were like guinea pig villains this year we're doing it <laughs> <laughs> it's in the wind yeah we're gonna do brilliant guinea pig villains yes yes <laughs> you know it can't be bunny rabbits bunny rabbits are played out plus they're too fluffy yes um it can't be ferrets because ferrets we don't know what to do with the eggs. fur it's, yes, a thing. it's not yeah. guinea pigs guinea pigs yes yeah um, Gosh, yes. that was the other thing that killed me in Bad Guys was uh, Marmalade had somebody doing his hair. Yes, <laughs> curls to get his little his little foof <laughs> just right. It was so great. Yes, and when he did his evil turn and it went all you know like like like, <laughs> like lightning strikes or whatever little jagged edges to it. It was so great. It was so funny. Yes. His hair changed depending on the persona he had that moment. You yeah, off curls if he was playing good Mister Marmalade, and then. Yeah. And how good was it that his name was like Mr. Marmalade? Yes. 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 <laughs> like, you know, Princess Buttercup and, and it's a villain or something. Yes. Yes. Exactly. It's perfect. Oh, they're so great. Uh, yeah. Those are two great ones. No, no, that was really great. Um, yeah. Were there any other um, movies that came out this year, animated or not, that are just fun that you would recommend, you know, because people listening to this episode have heard discussions probably at this point on Top Gun Maverick and Nope. And so after Nope, they might need some, I mean, Nope is an entertaining (laughs) movie, but you're going to need some, some lightness and some, yeah, some buoyance. Yeah. You might need to take a walk. Yes. Maybe not outside, but just take a walk. No, in the house. no. Stay away from the horses. <laughs> Don't maybe make direct eye contact. If you have a jean jacket in the house, maybe like stay the fuck away from that for a little bit. <laughs> oh, oh gosh. God. Yes. Avoid Fry's Electronics. I don't know. There's there's a lot going on in that movie. Yes. You know, that was probably one of their smarter moves because at least they weren't facing that down alone. That was like one of my favorite characters was Angel from Surprise Electronics. Yes. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that for the first time over um, my Thanksgiving vacation with my sister. And it was just like, I'm too chicken. I'm chicken. Um, I don't do horror because I sleep badly enough as it is. And I will have just epically horrendous uh, nightmares that will keep me up. So I tend to stay away from it. Yeah, um, there's very few things that get past that little personal line I have for myself. Sure. But I watched Nope with my sister with like every window open at like ten o'clock in the morning, <laughs> and then and then the whole thing is like pretty much drenched in daylight. The movie is, and I'm like, yeah, well, yeah. I'm so much for that. But yeah, 
Oh, I can't wait to hear your conversation with uh, Sean about Nope. Oh, of course. Yeah. Look forward to you checking it out. But other entertaining movies, Mm -hmm. I know by the time, well, I'm going to be releasing it this week Mm -hmm. as we're recording it. But I know we definitely don't want to spoil The Glass Onion, the sequel to Knives Out. But I know you are a huge Knives Out fan. So just in a number of words that we're not spoiling. Glass Onion is delightful. It It is. is. It is not the first movie. So if you expect a carbon copy of that, um, then I think you might be disappointed that way. But it is delightful. It is delightful. It is um, more Benoit Blanc, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's no. Only- and Janelle Monae. Janelle- I will say, yes, Janelle Monet received my vote mm-hmm. um, in oh. a couple of our critics groups. I'm in three different groups. So it was okay. kind of like when it came to supporting actress for me, it was like Kiki Palmer or Janelle Monet, basically, mm-hmm. like whoever was there. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, Janelle Monet. We're highly recommending. There was Kate Hudson. Is it's so good to have Kate yeah. Hudson back in things like just? Yeah. I mean, that woman right. can bring it no matter what, and she's so yeah. her mother's daughter. Like it's yeah. wonderful. Yeah, she just lights up a scene for sure. The sweatshop. The sweatshop. I'm sorry. Yes. Flashback. The sweatshop. Y'all will. If you know, you know. I'm not going to ruin it. No, no, no. But it's God. perfect. Yes. yes it's perfect it's perfect yeah the only thing i wish is that jessica henwick is it henwick henwick um the the assistant okay. her assistant the actress jessica mm-hmm. henwick, um she had been used more okay yeah but, i mean you know how many God, there's so, so many, many characters in yeah, the movie. Like, <laughs> it's really hard to, to keep track and, and um, make sure that you write enough uh, for all of these. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to juggle all of these different people. Yes. Yeah. Any other great films that you would recommend? Just fun viewing, maybe to watch with your family, or if you're like, you had enough family and you need something to kind of distract you or amuse you. Okay. So, I know I've seen the reviews. I have seen the general comments in on Twitter and in the world, but Moonfall was the most ridiculous. Just turn your brain off and just let it watch over you and enjoy it. Movie like I was so tickled with that movie. Okay. I was texting my mom. Send I like bought her the movie so she could stream it immediately. So like watch this. Just watch it now. Just watch it now. <laughs> What is Moonfall? Why don't I know that one? Okay, so it's Patrick Wilson, Halle Berry. Okay. Um, and the moon the moon is falling, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. So it's not just a clever name. The moon is falling. It's falling at the planet. Um and 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 because it's getting closer, it's messing with the you know the waves and all of that, and there's flooding that's happening. I mean, it it might as well be you know, uh, the day after tomorrow. Uh, you know, what is it 2012? I mean, like it's a disaster movie. It is a disaster movie. But like you know, there's you know water swelling and they're astronauts, which um, I love the astronauts. I love a good NASA movie. Yeah, <laughs> me scary. too. And Patrick Wilson are astronauts and a terrible thing happens. And this is years later. Now the moon is falling and they have to, you know, uh, uh, Halle Berry called Patrick Wilson back to NASA. 
saved the world. I'm sorry. <laughs> and there's a guy who leaves a bunch of, you know, they have their, their like you, the moon, the moon is a hollow structure. It is a machine, basically. And they know it's true and everybody knows, but nobody's telling the truth, Jen. This is that guy. You know it's on Hulu? I am fucking watching this tonight. <laughs> it's so good. Okay, so wait, you can't put this in it. But Jen, it's true. The moon is fucking hollow. It's so good. You think, like, it's so ridiculous. And I'm like, they must have made like $2 on it. Like from when you bought it for your mom. Yes, for me and my mom. So probably more than that. I mean, Jen, I rented it for her. I bought it. Bought it. Like I own this now. (laughs) It's so delightful and over the top. I mean, uh, yes, people die, and it is very sad. But you're also like, did you did you have to die? Like, like (laughs) uh, you know. And oh my god. Uh, there's nobody like there's not like in 2012, you know, there's John Cusack gets back together with with his wife or oh yeah, he was he was married in that one, or ex-wife. I don't you know, know. Like, I saw it once. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's not like so, you know, there's not like a family coming back together. That's not what this is. <laughs> but, but like Patrick Wilson's like ex-wife and her family, and there he's trying to save them. Um, like his son's in jail for being young and stupid. He gets his son out of jail because you know the world ending. Might as well let you know that moon is falling. Let's get yeah, him out of jail. The moon is fucking falling. <laughs> okay, so did you see um, the H.G. Wells movie with uh, Guy Pierce? Um, the, the time machine. Yes. 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 And you know that shot when he's like he looks up just in time to see a big chunk of the moon break away. Um, um, there's like an explosion and a big chunk. Like okay. you don't know the shot, yet, but it's like a shot like that is all the shots in Moonfall. <laughs> closer and closer. Like you have never seen a full moon like this, y'all. Okay, <laughs> it's so great. I'm sorry. I am gonna watch that movie like tonight. Yeah, it's, I was, it's so not good. <laughs> but but it it's is so, you know, yeah, yeah, it's delightful. And if you could just let go of rational thought just long enough, <laughs> because you're like, no, they really did for it. Okay, <laughs> I was like, I don't want another movie of this. I want a series. I want not. It's not like Babylon Five when I was uh growing up. So like late eighties in the nineties, the show Babylon Five. I watched with my mom and it was just endless season. I can't tell you what any of it was about anymore, but it entertained, but like, you know, the production values of nineties TV yeah. was not always great. That's mm-hmm. what I want for Moonfall. Like, <laughs> yes, you don't have to spend a lot of money here. We don't need this. 500 million from James Cameron yeah. to like, you know, build another moon. No, because it might um, fall. No, I'm yeah, just we need to move past. <laughs> like I just <laughs> want the history of like, but really, it's all, um, you know. Once again, you know, don't enslave a computer to to make your life better. Is yeah. really the thing. That's, <laughs> That's it. The point. Be nice to the guinea pigs. Don't enslave. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It yeah. never works out well. Yes. Okay. <laughs> God, I'm looking over the things I read or watched last year, and there's like 
God, like, Moonfall really is the one that stands out. It's just the most fun that I watched last year or this year. Um, Cause I watched a lot of stuff that <laughs> was dark. <laughs> oh my gosh. I watched. There Am- was so much dark stuff this year. Yeah. yeah. Um, I watched Animal Kingdom for the first time this year. The movie uh, or the show? The the movie. Okay, yeah, the, yeah. The movie. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> like there's so much like I mean, I think you saw me tweeting some of that. Like I was just like, oh my god, okay. Oh, oh my <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Um <laughs> Yeah. Um, oh that movie, yes. And then I think Jed was chiming in with the as as he does yes <laughs> yes i can always get like if i don't know somebody in it it's you and jed who i send out <laughs> yeah questions we're for. here for you yeah yeah oh um my God. oh the other good thing that i saw was honk for jesus save your soul okay um um and i think that's uh streaming on peacock peacock yeah it's streaming on peacock that was really great um i have not uh I don't have a lot of, of, of church background. I wasn't brought up in that, but mm-hmm. I am familiar with it. And it, it's more than just, um, I mean, honestly, I don't like, I don't know how white churches work, but to <laughs> black and to have that, like, there's so much there that is familiar to me Okay, um, that uh, I was like this, it, it's very much a satire and it was really great. And, and even if you don't have that familiarity, I think you find something, um, you understand something about um, those people, um, because no matter how it's packaged, mm-hmm. it's all, you know, desire, ambition, um, and, and who are you is, is, is really the things I took away from it. And you see it clearly. Okay. Um, that is what they're talking about. So yeah. Huh? Cool. So yeah, that yes. one sounds good too. So good movies for different reasons. Well, yeah. Nikki, I want to thank you so much for doing this. It's always such a pleasure <laughs> laughing about guinea pigs and moon falling and, and everything with you. You know, Chicken yeah. Little, the sky is falling. <laughs> There's a missed crossover opportunity. They needed to yes. find guinea pig and moon fall, mm-hmm. make it animated. You know, we, yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. Uh. Yes. They didn't get the memo. Yes. They didn't. Well, thank did. you so much for doing this. <laughs> thank you for having me. It's a great fun as always. Of course. I also want to thank everyone for listening, especially my patrons who support the show and help fund my research equipment, film rentals, RSS fees, and more for as little as a dollar per month at the Film Intuition Patreon, which is the home base for the show. Other ways you can support the podcast are by sharing, reviewing, and subscribing to Watch with Jen wherever you get your podcasts, and also checking out the cool merch store hosted and created by our talented logo designer, Kate Gabrielle. You can find the merchandise store, including shirts, tote bags, stickers, and more by visiting 
filmintuition.com and clicking on the shop link. The show's theme music is solo acoustic guitar by Jason Shaw and is available in the free music archive. You can also reach me or interact with Watch With Jen anytime on Twitter, either at Film Intuition or our Watch With Jen account as well. Well, until next time, please take care and happy movie watching. This is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com and FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen.